Hello, this is Tony DeVolfo, the Carlton Football Club. I'm speaking to you today from the Bruce Dill Media Room in what is the latest Carlton FC podcast. Uh, today's guest was an integral member of Carlton's famed Mosquito Fleet through those powerhouse teams of the late 1970s, mid-1980s. Recruited to the club from Thomastown, he was one of four first gamers for Carlton's opening round of the 1979 season, together with Wayne Johnston, Robert Klomp and Peter Francis, all of whom were destined for premiership glory. In this man's case, three premierships came his way. In 1979, under the watch of Alex Jeselenko, and then in 1981-82, the back-to-back years under coach David Parkin. He represented Carlton a record 134 times in the number 34 Guernsey, formerly worn by triple premiership player Ian Robinson and now by Nick Digan. He also finished in the top 10 in his club's best and fairest on four occasions and three times he donned the big V for Victoria. His playing career would come to an end after a further 24 games in two seasons with St Kilda, but home is where the heart is and he is without doubt a Carlton man. He is Alex Marcoux and Alex, welcome back to the club. Thanks Tony. Alex, it's fair to say you haven't really left because I know that you do do a little bit of work for the spirit of Carlton. It's obviously, obviously something you enjoy being part of. Uh, Tony, uh, I love it. Um, it started five, six years ago when the club was in a bit of turmoil. Uh, a few of us got together. Well, I didn't, but, you know, uh, the Parkins, the Walses, the McClures, they all banded together and started Spirit of Carlton. I was on the Carlton Pass Players Committee with uh, Chris Pavlo. Um, then we all got together and helped the club raise nearly half a million dollars in those five years for gym equipment. We also helped uh, with the past players in um, a lot of guys that are struggling. You know, we'll help them with a bit of money from time to time. Yeah, but I love it. I love it. That's a good news story. And doesn't the game need it in this day and age? That's for sure. It's oh, good absolutely. to hear. Yeah. Now, Alex, I want to take you right back to the early days. And I want you to begin by telling the listeners a little bit about your um, your heritage, the the Macedonian connection. I understand both your father and mother were were born in Macedonia. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Tony, if Greeks were listening to this now, they would be spewing. And, I, and with all due respect to everyone, I don't want to cause any, you know, grief in Greek heritage or Macedonian heritage. Um, technically, my mum and dad came from the top of Greece as it's called. Their passport is Greek, so a lot of the Greeks would probably say out there now, oh, you're bloody Greek, you're Greek. <laughs> Unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but at home we spoke Macedonian and my um, parents brought me up as a Macedonian. So I'm um, Macedonian. My mum and dad uh, from a little village called Nedet, N-E-R-E-T. Um, there was no sport played there. My dad, at the age of seven, was a shepherd. He used to take the goats and the sheep up into the mountains by himself with wolves and bears. And you know, he was telling me the story; it was unbelievable. And he'd stay out at night. And now, at seven years old, you know, how many kids here would do something like that? So he'd do that and protect the sheep, which was their livelihood, and the the goats, and then bring them back down after they've had a feed up in the mountains. So that was probably the closest he ever got to having. A bit of sporting prowess, really. An incredible story, and, and might I say, I do apologise to the listeners for my lack of ignorance there. I'm glad you've clarified it. Can you tell us a little bit about um, 
that place you, your father came from. Have you been back there? Have you visited the place, or would you like to go there? Yeah, one day I would, Tony. My br- uh, second oldest brother, Simon, went there, and uh, the, the, the village uh, was about 700 people when my mum and dad left. Um, there's probably, he said, there's 200 people living there. It's a bit dilapidated. He goes, it is beautiful. It's in the mountains. He goes, it's sensational. Like, one day you just got to go back. I would love to go back. Yeah, one day I might, yeah. What age were, you, were your mother and father when they came to Australia? Yeah, my dad was 16. He came here in 1948, and my mum was uh, 17, 17, 18. She'd been shipped out of the village because there was a civil war between the Greeks and the Macedonians at that stage, and... There was a lot of raping and pillaging and she got shipped off to Czechoslovakia. Um, her mother didn't see my mother for about 20, 20 years. So she was in an orphanage in the, uh, Budapest in Czechoslovakia and lived there until she was about 16. And then my grandfather bought out um, her. Her sister was in, in uh, Hungary. That, that got separated everywhere because of you know the fear of being killed and raped. I don't know whether you've been asked the question before about your family background to this extent, but I know that I've had a conversation similar to this with Tony Liberatore, and he told me that every game that he played for Footscray, the Western Bulldogs, he dedicated to his mother and father because he knew the hardships that they had had to endure to get him to the position where he was playing league football. Did, does that resonate with you? Do you appreciate what he say, says there? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I've probably been, again, ignorant. I didn't think of it that way. I was wrapped to just run out onto the ground with the Carlton Guernsey on. And I, I knew my mother and father were always there in the same spot, the Heatley stand near the race with all the friends around. And to this day now, uh, I still bump into people that used to sit with my mum and dad and say, oh, how are they going? And since then, my dad's passed away. But, yeah, I should have been a bit more like Tony and, you know, uh, probably ran out on the ground and thought, here, this is one for you. And But I did, in the grand finals, I did look up into the stand and say, Mum and Dad. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the grand finals shortly. It's a great story you tell. But I'd like to ask you about the days in Thomastown. I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, the, the language, not necessarily English, was spoken in the house. How does a kid from that sort of background in that area at that time end up playing Australian rules football? Tony, um, I, I went to Layla Primary School and at the age of five had no idea of English. Uh, we only spoke Macedonian at home. Went to school and I was taught English there and my dad was a mad Fitzroy supporter. So we would go to the football he would take me to the football, to the Brunswick Street Oval, to watch the Norm Browns, um, the Crows. Kevin Murray. Kevin Murray, Lazarus, Gary Lazarus, all those guys. And I used to love Fitzroy and I used to love VFL football at the time. And then I started playing it with my younger brother, Simon, kicking in the backyard. And my dad always said to me, he goes, I always knew you were going to be a footballer because from the time you'd get up in the morning, you get that ball and you go out in the back, whether it was summer, winter, cold, in your bare feet, just kicking this ball around. And he said, uh, "You know, I, I thought you'd, you know, get to 
good heights with it. Um, I started playing state school football at Lalo High, uh, at Lalo State, sorry, and then um, from there, a few mates dis- uh, after that, sorry, played in state school championships and stuff like that, and then went to Lalo High, and a few of the guys started playing football at Thomastown. And because, you know, uh, your mates and social pressure and this and that, said, no, don't worry about playing at Laylaw Football Club where Cooter came from. I went to Thomastown, where Glazer came from. Glazer would have been a bit later than you? Yeah, a bit later. Yeah, a couple of years later, yeah. Okay, so you're in the system and you you got to learn how to play the game. Were you always that sort of elusive, quick, you know, speedy type player? Yeah, yeah, all along. It was just, my speed got me out of a lot of trouble. My speed got me to the ball before a lot of other guys. Yeah, and it was sort of easier to get a kick in those days. Did it get you out of trouble off the field as well, or were you a good boy? No, I was a good boy off the field. I was a very good boy off the field. Now, Alex, what about the Carlton connection? I mean, you, I think it was 1978 that was your first season here. How did you come to Carlton? I presume it was zoning, but what was the circumstance? Yeah, uh, Tony, I was at um, Thomastown in 76. Newton Chandler, Chandler at the time uh, come and saw me and he said to Chrissy Pavlo, you've got to get this bloke. He's going to be a good footballer for the Carlton Footy Club. So Chrissy Pavlo um, kept knocking on my mum and dad's door, kept knocking and my dad turned around to him and said, look, Chris, um, and I started speaking in Greek, which my dad, you know, felt more comfortable with. And he said to Chris, he said, I don't want him to play in the under-19s. If he's going to come down there, I want him not to get lost in the under-19s. I want him to play in the reserves. And Chris came back a couple of weeks later and said, you've got your wish. Yeah, the first game he plays, he plays in the reserves. 1977, we were playing the Swannies out here. And I'll never forget, it was Peter Francis, myself, were told we're playing in the um, reserves and at the time to play reserves you'd have about 25,000 people there running under the ground with 25,000 people was unbelievable I thought you know this is and I'll to this day I've never forgotten it and we both kicked a couple of goals and we thought how good is this going to be well a couple of <laughs> couple of weeks later guess where I was under 19s because I couldn't get a kick <laughs> and got my um, groin injured and I just thought to myself what am I doing here? Like, you know, there's the South Viz, the Jezelinkos, City Jackson, Dooleys. I thought, nah, this is not it. No, I shouldn't be here. So I went back to Thomastown and the footy club rang me and said, what are you doing? You know, you need rehabilitation. You need us to look after you. You know, where are you? That was Chris Pavlo. And I said, look, I don't feel like I should be there. He goes, Alex, for God's sake, get back here. Let us rehabilitate you. We'll give you another go in 78 because my groin, I'd really stuffed it up. So end of 77, I did a lot of pre-season and 78 played reserves for the whole year and won the best and fairest. Incredible performance to do that. You, you mentioned Chris Pavlo, the late Chris Pavlo, you know, a former player, committeeman, coach, um, did it all at Carlton, led up the past plays for many years. Obviously, he was something of a father figure to you. Yeah, he was him. Sorry, Tony, and I, I've got to mention this other guy too, Arthur Moxon, who was a recruiter. You know, these guys at that stage, the amount of work they did and travel and look at players for nothing. You know, they did it all for nothing because of the love of the club. 
Um, they were my both father figures, Arthur Moxon and Chrissy Pavlo was sensational. He looked after me brilliantly. Now, we know that under the current uh, rules that players from anywhere could be recruited to Carlton, but back then I guess it was very territorial. In saying that, was it a long way for you as a, as a junior to make the trek in from, from Thomastown to Carlton? How did you get here? Um, my dad used to bring me. Uh, when I was about 17, and then I got my licence, so it was easier to come in. At 78, I think I was, hang on, 78, what was I, about 20? Yeah, yeah, I was out of licence, I was right. And one, one question about uh, the 78 season again, Sergio Silvani, I think, was your coach yep. in that particular year. What impact did he have on your early formative years? See, he was, again, sensational, and he, probably because from a European background, he help you know me a little bit more uh, to get a bit of confidence to get a bit of skill you know just to stand up tall because you know I still felt a little bit inferior um, to the point where I didn't find out till about five years later at the end of 78 they they were going to trade me to Essendon and Serge Silvani got up in front of the committee and he was very well respected then and said if he goes, I go. He goes, this kid's going to be a good footballer for the footy club. Um, I want him to stay. And yeah, I didn't know that until, and Serge never told me that. Someone else told me a few years later. I'd love to know who the Essendon player was. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It'd want to have been pretty good, but however, thankfully sanity prevailed. Alex and you stayed put. We moved to 1979, a massive year for yourself and the club. You actually made your senior debut in the first round of that year, which by a quirk of the draw was actually round three. It was a third. You played in round three, but it was the first game for the club. And I think you were named on a, in a pocket alongside Rod Galt, and you actually had a, a fairly auspicious debut. I think you kicked a couple of goals. Yeah, three goals. Three goals yeah, that, yeah. in that game. Yeah. What are your overriding memories of, of that day? Oh, I just, it was out at Waverley. It was, well, there was about 60,000, 70,000 people. It, it was against Essendon. And I just thought, how, again, yeah, like, unbelievable, you know, to, have, to down that Carlton jumper and to be playing with the Dooleys, the Jezelinkos. It was an amazing feeling. And to kick a few goals, uh, fantastic. And, of course, the year went on and, I mean, you know, it proved such a, a fantastic year for, for the team. I've spoken to Wayne Harms often about 79, and he said a lot of players that year played out of fear because of the, the stringent training regimen that Jezza set. If you didn't perform, you paid for it on the track. Was that the case? Tony, absolutely. He, he was probably the hardest taskmaster I've ever had in um, coaches. But he did do it because he thought himself we were a very, very talented side but a bit lazy and not so much the younger guys but more the older guys. And he just wanted to get it into our mind, you know, like, you know, you can't win games unless you're really mentally tough and physically tough. And he worked us. I could tell you stories. And I told Cooter and um, Christy one day and he couldn't believe the training regime after a loss against Geelong. And he, he, I used to have a couple of drinks with Jezza and I think he got a little bit, 
with the fallout with um, Harris, he st- to this day now still believes if he was here, he would never have trained us as hard as he did in '79. But he still believes that he we would have probably won four in a row. He to this day still believes that, and I probably believe him too. We'll, we'll get to 1980 and yeah, what yeah. happened soon. But '79, I mean, you know. You finished the home and aways. I think it was two games clear in top spot. I think you then accounted for North in in one of the semis. Uh, I think it was final five then, so you go straight through yeah, the grand yeah. final. And you, you struck. Um, I mean, it was a it was a wet deck, and uh, it was uh, the whips were cracking against Collingwood. It was a tight game. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, running out grand final day. Do you remember that moment and what it feels like to you know to run out on the MCG in front of hundred thousand people? Yeah, Jezelenko said to the young kids especially, he said to the Harmsies, myself, Buckley, Sheldon, he said, look, guys, you'll never never experience this, home and away and crowds. This is, you're going to be absolutely starstruck here. And I've, I'll remember, and the Harmsie was next to me, we've run out and I basically stopped dead in my tracks. You know, there's 115,000 people screaming and roaring and Harmsy was next to me, and I still remember Jezza coming up and slapping us against the uh, across the face. Not hard, but just saying, boys, get your head right, enjoy, but you're here to play. And I, I to this day, I still remember that running out there. It was unbelievable. It's amazing the little things you remember. Jezza was obviously an influence. Jezza, yeah, people say he wasn't a good coach, and everyone's got their own opinion. For me, he, at the start of the year, pulled me aside and said, look, they all reckon you're too small to play. That's why you weren't played in 78. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to play you. Don't let me down. And, of course, I'm going to. He's one of my you know, great sort of instigators. And, it, and it's really interesting to hear how there were those pivotal moments with Silvani and then Jezelenko, you know, stressing those points, you know, at those particular yeah. moments in time, had they not done that, you might have ended up back at, at Thomastown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. it's just, you know, some things, uh, I know a luck's not, you know, you shouldn't say luck, but I'll tell you what, you know, if you've got someone who's got a lot of confidence in you and they're pushing you along, it helps a lot. The harms incident, I mean, you know, that we all remember the, the famous moment, you know, deep into the last quarter of that grand final. Where were you and did you have a good view of what actually happened and did you understand what had happened? I was on the half-forward flank, Tony. Uh, what harms he did, it was like a split second. I, he's kicked the ball and next minute he's run after it and then he's tapped it in and to Sheldon and he's kicked the goal that basically sealed the game for us. And I'm just going, I can't believe he did that. Like it was so quick and in and mud where... Like it was mud, mud, you know, not like these days, it's little bowling greens. And do you remember siren time, you know, how you felt that moment, you know, sheer elation, obviously? Sheer elation. It was Collingwood had the ball, they were attacking, and I was thinking, oh my God, I hope the siren goes, I hope the siren goes. And uh, they'd come around the half forward flank, I think Ray Shaw had it, no, well, sorry, around our half back flank, well, their half back flank, and the siren had gone. And I thought, we got it. And you mentioned your mother and father would have been there to see all those triumphs, 79, 81, 82. Yeah. What, what a great thing in retrospect that they were there to be part of that success. Sensational. They, they had as much jubilation, Tony, um, as I did. 
all, all my stuff, all my medals, everything, they've got everything. And they proudly, you know, have got them in their house. I will never take them off them, you know. That's part of them because they help. Absolutely. Now, 1980, I yep. mean, uh, tumultuous events over 7980. We saw Jezelenko, George Harris out, Ian Rice, Peter Jones in, uh, president and coach respectively. From a playing perspective, um, what was your take on it? You remember, were the players kept out of it? How, how did it yeah. pan out? Yeah, kept out of it. Or, or look, or I didn't even. I don't think we even went to the AGM at Festival Hall. But after it happened, you know, we were all, you know, shocked because you know we loved Jezza so much. As much as he was a hard taskmaster, he was still. He made the basis of the success because he got the older blokes to mix with the younger blokes and the younger blokes to mix with the older blokes and the wives, the girlfriends. That was just one big family. And when that happened, we carried on, but he, he, we lost a big part of it. Now, Peter Jones, as I said, took over. In 1980, um, people perhaps forget that Carlton actually finished that uh, Season, I think minor premiers two games clear, yeah. so they're in good shape going into the final series, and yet they went out in straight sets. What do you think happened? Oh, I, I think we had a few injuries, um, which you never play with injuries. I think I don't think Percy got the best out of us for the finals. I think our minds weren't right. It was, it was yeah. We were two games clear. We we should have had someone there to lead us up the path to win another one. We should have. But yeah. and in retrospect, is what Jesus said right that maybe it did cost the team four. He to this day still believes that. Do you, do you believe that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Maybe the one that got away. Maybe the one that got away, yeah. Now, um, David Parkin, of course, was appointed Peter Jones' successor, and that heralded in another great uh, period for the Carlton team, back-to-back premierships, 81-82. David Parkin, the coach, what, what's your take on him? Probably the greatest tactician, uh, speaker uh, and coach. I've, yeah, Jezza was my, uh, my biggest influence, if people ask me, but... As a coach, um, from top to bottom, uh, Parker was number one. Do you think that that group of players, that special group of players that were there for that whole journey, do you reckon as time went on and win was penciled in after win after win, that the, that group developed a, an air of invincibility by the way it approached each game? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that, Tony. We, we had belief in each other. We had confidence in each other. And... We knew we were never beaten, like ever beaten. Like we would always come back. Or we could always come back if we really wanted to. You know, well, sure, we lost games, but yeah, the premiership quarter, the third quarter, we used to go out there and you know, you, you talk to supporters and a couple of guys that I work with now, you know, who are mad Carlton. They used to say to me, you know, even at halftime, you're five, six goals down. You know, we knew through third quarter, you can come out there and just blow the other side off the. Parks, and we used to be able to do that. And of course, the team stood up in September. Also, do you think that there was also an unwritten rule amongst the players themselves that at Carlton you hadn't really arrived as a player until you played well in finals? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and if you look through all the, you, you look at every name that ever played 
for Carlton in those finals, you wouldn't pick one guy that never, you know, gave... Stood up. Yeah, never stood up. Yep. Now, in 81, Alex, um, the team finished top, but, but by percentage only from Collingwood, and it then accounted for Geelong in that famous final at Waverley. Yep. The buzz completed the... Uh, the mark double. of the year, goal of the year, double with that goal of the year. Um, do you remember that particular moment? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, was, I've personally was there and I can remember, I've never before or since seen pl- uh, people s- offer a standing ovation for a player for a moment, but it happened that day. What, what do you remember of it? Yeah, well, exactly what you said, Tony. He was unbelievable. He, he, Buzzer was, he, he was a freak. He, he, he had six senses. He knew where you were, the amount of goals... I got off him, you know, he'd tap it under his leg or he'd do something. He knew where you were, the skill level of him, everything was sensational. He, he was a very good player. It's a shame history, you know, developed the way it was. He had to go back and it yep. probably cost him, yep. you know, a greater part of his career as a player here. But um, he was, he was for that period of time, absolutely... Uh, dynamite. Dynamite as a player, wasn't he? Uh, absolutely. You faced Collingwood again in the, in the grand final of 81. Um, it was, a, again, a tight struggle for three quarters and there was a moment, you know, going into time on the third where it looked like, geez, the unthinkable was going to happen here and yet there were two very quick goals in time on and really the team overran Collingwood in the final quarter, ran out comfortable we winners. 20-point winners. Ashley kicked the goal, I think, from memory and then Buckley kicked one, Jimmy kicked one and you could see the Collingwood head and Jimmy was... Talk about another little leader, a little dynamo. He were coming into the three-quarter huddle and he's screaming at the top of his voice, have a look at them, their heads are down, they are gone, we're going to win this. And he kept going and going and we just started looking at them and they're going to their huddle and their heads are down and we've come back from, you know, they were fairly well ahead of us at that stage. Um, I think we're about six or seven points down or something like that and we ran out into the last quarter but he... Just he he could sense it, and he got us all fired up too. Prior to that happening, did you did you fear the worst though? Were oh yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, they were all over us, and you know, again, being the side we were, and the confidence in each other, and the work ethic we all had for each other, and we would bleed for each other. You know, yeah, showed true at the end. Now, uh, we'll get to 82, but there's one question I do want to ask. If you were a selector at Carlton and you had to pick from fellows in that mosquito fleet, like Harms, Johnson, Sheldon, Buckley, who would you pick first? Oh, that's 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 a hard one. Harms, I would say, pound for pound, was one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. He, you could put him anywhere, anywhere. Senar Ford, and we used to play him Senar Ford, and he used to dominate a game. You'd put him back line, he'd dominate. Jeez. I would have to say, yeah, well, Harmsy. Then you got Buckley. Buckley would give his body for you, how tough he was and how much of a inspiration. And uh, That's a hard one. <laughs> Question with that notice, Alex, so I apologise for that. Now, 1982, you finished the home and aways... Uh, third uh, for memory you won the qualifying final comfortably against Hawthorne, lost to Richmond in the second semi and then beat Hawthorne in the prelim to get another crack at Richmond uh, as opposed to 79-81 it was a bit more difficult a road to get to that 
last day. But, you know, in saying that, it was one of the great wins, the only two grand final, in, in a great grand final too. Yeah. Tony, uh, Richmond beat us by 12 goals, I think. And to this day now, Jeff Raines has never forgotten the loss in 82. They thought they were going to win it hands down. That's what was probably their worst thing because they thought, and they'd come to watch us play in the Premier League final against Hawthorne. And I think it's one of the toughest games uh, out at Waverley, the Hawthorne-Carlton Premier League final of 82. If you look at it now, just the speed, the physical intensity of it, but half-time there's about two goals kicked on either side. It was one of the toughest games, and we've come off the ground. We've won it and come off the ground thinking, how in the hell are we going to play a grand final? That's how physically um, wasted we were. And then to come out against uh, Richmond in the 82, and again, physically, very, very tough game. Uh, I watched it. I haven't watched it for about 20 years, and I watched it the other night. I thought this was a physical, tough, sort of wet game, and to win that was, you know, like you said, you know, we're probably underdogs and should never have won it. I was very fortunate, Alex, that day to be in the press box covering the game. I was sitting next to the timekeepers and that goal, I've told you this before, the goal that you kicked in the last quarter, the sealer, it actually went dead centre and I I was basically behind you and so I had that clear light and I don't think I've ever seen a ball bisect the goals as well as that one did uh, that must have been a great moment for you because oh. that was the cruncher it yep. was the one that the goal that won count the premiership yeah yeah the, oh, and again i'll mention jimmy buckley mcclure for the outstanding work he did he, you know again mcclure you know they talk about senar fords he's one of the greatest ever for the work ethic you know people don't realize how good he was and you could go that we're talking about all these players that played finals and played in my era. You could not knock one saying he wasn't any good. They were all unbelievable. But to knock it out and to, to kick that goal, oh, I just I was jumping out of my skin. And Buckley, I can hear him behind me going, we've effing won the game. We've stuck it up him. Um, just backtracking a quarter or so, you the streaker obviously was strutting around the third quarter. Uh, I can seem to recall her in the centre square. You would have been fairly close to that. Tony, I was in the forward pocket on the uh, Ponsford side and I was with Merv Kane. He was actually strangling me and I'm sort of trying to strangle him. He's a bit bigger than me and he's going, I'm going to get you, you little bastard, you know. And there was screaming. And I'm thinking, well, they're not screaming at us, are they? And I've turned around and I've seen this nude girl and I've said to Merv, there's a streaker out there. And he goes, what are you talking about? So we've stopped choking each other and we've run over to the centre square to watch this streaker <laughs> running around. Uh. <laughs> Uh, it was an incredible moment. And, it, of course, it, it, it actually halted Carlton's run. They, they, the team had a bit of a run on there at that time. So, in ret- retrospect, it might have been damaging, you know, to, as Carlton was starting to make real inroads on Richmond. Yeah. But she actually ran on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end, we won. It's all, all that counts. It's yeah. all that matters. Now, Alex, 83 – or before I get to 83 and 84 five, um, the three premierships, if you, do you have a favourite? No. Uh, Tony, to me, it, like, 71, 79, sorry, was fantastic because it was the first one and 81 was fantastic because it was the second and 82 was fantastic because it was the third. And when people say to you, how many ga- premierships, 
you know, like a lot of people don't probably remember now when they say, oh, did you ever play in a premiership? I said, yeah, three. And it really knocks them about. There was not one that was any better than the other. To me, they were all magnificent. Now, do you relate the story? Is it you that relates a story about seeing Wayne Harms in the Hilton across the road after the 79 grand final and catching his eye and he held up one finger? And then 12 months later, you saw him there again, he held up two fingers. And then that three is like, you see him again, he holds up three. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. No. Might no. not be you. No, it's a good story. It's a good story. <laughs> it is a good story. Now, we're talking the period uh, 83 through 85. The team didn't get to the ultimate in those particular years, although it finished in the final series. Um, what happened in those years do you recall that didn't allow the team to go all the way? Oh, Tony, that's... Yeah, there was an influx of new players. I think uh, the footy, you know, like uh, there was guys like Sefta, Safta retired, um, a, lot, a lot of guys retired, new guys came in. Uh, the mix probably wasn't probably as good as it should have been. Um, who knows? It's just the different makeup of players... We were getting older, mentally probably we weren't as uh, switched on. Switched or, on, yeah. yeah. Yep. Eager, hungry. Yep. <laughs> Who knows? Unfortunately, it probably does happen, you know. And hearing you say that, you, you come to realise even more how hard they are to win because oh. everything has to be in place, doesn't it? Tony... Like, you know, even now I drive around and I think to myself, oh my God, I've played in three premierships. You know, people, you know, players are busting to play in one. And I was lucky enough to play in three with a great side like the Carlton Football Club. Mate, it's fantastic. Now, 85 uh, was a tough year for you because you were starting to break down with a succession of soft tissue injuries. But you also, I think, sustained the two broken jaws through that season. Yeah. What happened there? And, I mean, how badly did that set back your career? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Six weeks I was out with one of them. It was, yeah, I got plates and everything in there. It, it, it knocks it back a, a lot. The, oh, the other thing, too, I think, Tony's uh, coaches start to look at you in different ways, too. You know, you've been there a while. Um, they're probably thinking, you know, he's probably not doing, like Parker used to call, call me, the shadow of yourself. You know, he thought I wasn't doing the, you know, the hard yards. He was probably right. Um, it's just the different view and beliefs. You know, we weren't probably winning as many games. Parker or the coaching staff was trying to, you know, get new blood into the side. So that doesn't help either. And then um, Wolsey took over in 96, uh, in 86, sorry. Had a huge run of bad injuries, stomach muscles and everything. I missed about 13 games. So that doesn't help either. <laughs> I, I do remember, though, David Parkin leaping your, to your defence after that. I think it might have been the second break of jaw and saying, well, look, we think we've got a fellow here that's being targeted. Did, yeah. did you feel that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I wasn't a big statue bloke, like, and, you know, I used to cop it a bit, yeah. Yeah. All these years on, are there any sort of side effects from having that? No. I mean, concussion's obviously a big issue in the game today, much talked about and a contentious issue. Did you suffer a, a lot 
at the time or, or since because of the headlines no. he received? No. No. No, no, that, no. So you've pretty much got out of the game unscathed? Tony, pretty much like I run. I ran this morning. I ran about 8Ks this morning, uh, which I bless, you know, my body for that. You know, a lot of guys can't. You know, they've got knee replacements, ankle replacement, hip replacements. I run in the mornings. Yeah, every second morning I'd, yeah, so I you, enjoy it. So you still look back and pinch your cheeks? Yeah, you absolutely. Know. Yeah, you've yeah, got to be good. right too. We're getting towards the end, Alex, but... Um, Looking back on it now, are there any regrets at all? Looking back on your career account, anything that you didn't achieve or would have liked to have achieved? Any regrets? I should never have left Carlton. I'm not joking. That's probably my biggest regret. You went to St Kilda. You had two seasons there. Yeah. I'm what, in the what happened there? What, why did you go? Was it of your calling or were you sent there? No. Uh, Colo basically said, look, um, we're not letting you go, but we're going to give... We want to give a, a few younger guys, Bear Gleeson, Adrian Gleeson, a couple of younger guys a go. It's not going to be as easy, Al. So if you have got a club in mind you want to go to, or we're not going to stop you. I'm not saying we don't want you to go, but we do not going to stop you either. And uh, Kenny Sheldon was given the same sort of marching orders in a way. And he's rung me and said, oh, stuff it. You know, we'll go to St Kilda. Macca's there, Peter McConnell's there, Wow's there. We'll all get down there and Spiro was there. We'll go there and never go there. And as soon as I got there, I thought to myself, oh, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> Guys, that was, oh, my God, the worst. Yeah, seriously, talk about chalk and cheese and professionalism and amateurism. That was... Amateur hour, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievably. So, you, in retrospect, you could have stayed. You, if, if it was down to you, which it was, you, you would have stayed on, Yeah, finished out your career here. Yeah, I would have stayed. I would have been happy to play in the twos. Not that I believe I, I would have played twos, but I would have been happy here. But, you know, peer group pressure, the guys I played premierships with, I thought, yeah, I'll go down there and give it a whack. My dad was devastated. He goes, what the hell are you doing? He never came to watch me at once play at St Kilda, ever. I can understand that. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand that too. In, in closing, Alex, look, it's been a, a magnificent career, and you know we've talked about right place, right time, and, and what might have been had Serge Silvani not stood up for you or Chris Pavlo before him. Um, you know, looking back now, and the, the fact you're still involved with Carlton, what does it actually mean to you to be part of Carlton? What's the club meant to you? Well, it's meant three premierships, and meant. It's meant a lifelong friends like the guys I played with, from the Perovics to the Dooleys. We still see each other a lot of time. We're all going down to the, a lot of us are going to the Launceston Cup in a couple of weeks. Um, it's meant, it's, look, this club, the history of it, the success, it's, you know, for that lean period in the 2000s, it's the greatest club in it, the AFL, I, I believe. And I just love going to the games. I love watching it. love meeting guys like yourself. It's fantastic. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and hear you reminisce about those great days and what was clearly a great moment in Carlton's illustrious history. The great thing is that you're still involved and you still have the passion for the place. Um, We look forward to seeing you around for a lot longer to come. Uh, But for the moment, thanks very much for sharing your recollections. It's been fantastic to hear them.
pleasure, man. No worries, Tony. Thanks, man. You can follow Tony DeBolfo on Twitter at CFC underscore DeBolfo.